Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 153 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Be True to Yourself, an interview with Renata Lindoso. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So Matt, this is the first guest we've had from Brazil, and it really was a great interview. This poor woman went through a really challenging time, first with getting diagnosed, and then even after being diagnosed, no one believed her, literally no one, including her mother and father who were medically trained doctors. In addition to that, when she went on her healing journey, she had a difficult time getting the tinctures and the other treatments that she needed to ultimately get herself into remission. And Rich, what really stood out for me about Renata's story is the fact that she pointed out everyday things that we all do that can weaken our bodies and make us more susceptible to Lyme disease. She also gave us tips about how to deal with when other people in our lives call us crazy and say it's all on our head and continue to fight for the real answer, knowing that we're truly sick. She also talks about being kind to ourselves and not being judgmental to ourselves and gives us some tips and advice in that area as well. So Matt, this was really an exciting podcast, and I'm really excited to introduce this wonderful Brazilian guest to the Tick Bootcamp community. Hello, Renata, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Thank you for having me. We're really excited. We've never interviewed someone from Brazil before, so this is just a really exciting time for us. So can you share with our listeners uh, where you're calling in from? Thank you. Um, I've never been interviewed by an American. <laughs> I'm from Brazilia. Uh, um, unless you count at the customs office when I was traveling to the US. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. So um, I'm from Brasilia, Brazil. I was born, it's, it's the capital. I was born in the capital, born and raised in Brasilia. Um, so yes, that's where I was born. That's where I'm from. Um, talk to us about your family, uh, a little bit about your parents and what your family environment was like when you were growing up. Okay, so my parents are both doctors, traditional doctors. They're very respected names in their own respective fields. And um, so it was a good childhood. I mean, it was, I don't know, I had um, access to a lot of things and even a time when you didn't have internet and that kind of thing, but we had good access to, I don't know, information and what have you. So if we wanted to take swimming lessons, we would take them if we had. So there were good opportunities. It was, I don't know, it was fun. It was good. It was. Um, so how did the so young, how did the young Renata envision herself? Meaning what were you dreaming about doing professionally yeah. during your life? Um, well, I don't think I had a clear vision. There were many things I wanted to do. Of course, I always, um, I traveled a lot and um but, uh, and afterwards I got interested in the arts and, but uh, I didn't really have a clear vision, but I, I know, of course, I wanted to do a lot. I thought I, <laughs> I would have had a lot accomplished by now. <laughs> and and I, I do have, I mean, I, I healed from Lyme, which is a lot. <laughs> so talk to us. I, I, just, to... I could not, I, it would never, okay, back then it would have never crossed my mind that one day I would be sick. You know, I was born like I was healthy, like a bull, you know, like I, I, I had no cold until I was, I don't know, 20 years old, you know, <laughs> so that's that's the kind of healthy I'm talking about, like I'm so super healthy. Talk to us, talk to us a little bit about when you first started to show the symptoms of what you now know to be your Lyme disease. Okay, so first I had uh, chronic mercury intoxication and then I had Lyme disease. Um, and I think the, the mercury intoxication happened in two um, different phases, two steps. 
first step um, when I was about 11, the Brazilian government decided to, I don't know, give out some vaccines, some shots. And I took them. Um, and um, after that, I don't know, it was, it was very slowly. And it's something that I can pinpoint now looking back. But back then, I didn't, I don't know, I, I couldn't really say there was something wrong with me, you know, unless you count uh, when I was about 16. Um, like I'm, I'm Latin for those of you who cannot see me. <laughs> and I had like a lot of hair back then, but I was getting like small islands of like hairless uh, spots in my, on my skin. And so I was losing a lot of hair. Sometimes I got a little bit of confusion. And so that's where the mercury intoxication started. Um, about the time no, I was Renata, 19. Let's, let's plot. Let's pause there for a second. Your, your mercury intoxication, you believe that's a part of your Lyme story because you think it had an impact on your immune system's ability to protect you when you finally got bitten by a tick? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Not only that, not only did it suppress my immune system, but um, I also got some symptoms that were like close to Lyme. And so sometimes it was hard to tell which was which, or I think they together, they just made an atomic bomb in my body. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Renata, let's... It's crazy because there are two things that are really hard for doctors to diagnose. I mean, it's not that they're hard. It's not hard. I mean, we've, we've had Lyme and whenever someone starts, starts to tell a story involving Lyme disease, it's very... Um, like we say, well, that sounds like Lyme, but I just think that doctors are not conditioned to identify Lyme. It's not that it's hard to come up with a diagnosis. It's just that they're not conditioned to look at those symptoms as a, as a disease, as Lyme disease, as an infectious disease. So let's pause there for a second. You're the daughter of two doctors, right? Yes. So yes. we're talking about diagnostic challenges that people who are, who are suffering from Lyme disease have, you would think someone like you who was from a family with two doctors, someone like you who had all the yeah. resources that you had available to you wouldn't have as long a diagnostic journey as people without those resources and those contacts. So let's talk about that a little bit. What do yes. you know about ticks and Lyme disease prior to your diagnosis? Okay, I knew zero. I had no idea Lyme existed. I actually, I got the bite. I got the tick bite. I got the bullseye rash. I pulled the tick off. I got the whole thing. Like it's a classical um, bullseye rash on my right upper arm. And um, I had no idea what it was. I thought it was some sort of allergy, but it didn't itch. It didn't, I don't know. I, I just remember looking at it. Like that's, I mean, <laughs> that was the good, <laughs> I remember looking at it. I have this very clear memory of looking at this bullseye rash. So how old were you when you suffered the tick bite? 31, I was and, 31. And where were you at the time that you suffered the tick bite? I was in Oregon. Okay, but first I think we have to come back a little bit from okay. for the second time that I was, um, um, I got the, I'm sorry, I'm kind mercury of forgetting poisoning? my words. The mercury poisoning, yes. When I got intoxicated with mercury for the second time, okay. and that was at the dentist's office. And so the dentist was doing one of those mercury fillings and he thought it was a good idea to run some errand while he was doing the filling. So he went into another room, he left me there on the chair 
with the mercury in my mouth. So the mercury spilled in my mouth. And when I came back, um, when I came back, he, uh, he just said, oh no, it's spilled. And then he, he removed the mercury, but I mean, my body had already absorbed it. So you, you, had, you had some immune compromising events or immune disrupting events long before you were, you were bitten by the tick. Yeah, so that was when I was 19. So from that point on, I had some days where I was really tired. So, um, and I thought it was because I was doing a lot back then. So I was going, I was taking two different courses at college and I was working at some projects. I was working on some projects with a friend. And so I had a lot going on in my life, but um, it was very, I mean, sometimes during the weekend, I just couldn't get up. I did not have the strength to get out of bed. And I thought that was like, oh, I'm being lazy. Or I, I, I thought that was what being lazy meant. <laughs> not being able to get out of bed. And that's not true. <laughs> being lazy is something very different. And, but I couldn't. And so sometimes I got brain fog. And so I remember at the university, if I had to um, give a presentation, I would be really good on the first part of the presentation. And there was a point where I got tired and people noticed, they came to me and they said, you got really tired, didn't you? So things just got me really tired. And I, I, I don't know, I couldn't understand it. By the time I was in my late twenties, um, I said, there's something very wrong with me because I couldn't focus. I couldn't pay attention on anything. I couldn't sleep. So I had a lot of insomnia. Um, I had these muscle spasms, so sometimes I trembled, and um, so I was getting all those diagnoses. And back then, ADHD was something was a big thing. Everybody was talking about ADHD, so I was like, "Oh, maybe I'm ADHD." And I went to the psychiatrist, and I used to say, "Hey, I used to be more intelligent. What's going on with me?" And so I used to come up with these things that are like, like classical symptoms. But everybody was like, "Oh, I don't know. That's just Hanata being Hanata's. I don't know." And so I was like, I have ADHD. And everybody's like, oh, everybody's ADHD now. So <laughs> nothing special about that. But I could feel there was something going on. I just didn't know what it was. And I was really tired. I remember to get anything done, I needed to, like, during the day, just the minimum. I used to have to drink one of those um, caffeine um, bottles, like three of those at least, to get the minimum done. Uh, in Brazil, we have um, some caps, some uh, caffeine caps. And so I took a lot of those. I remember I went to a party and I, had, I always had those caffeine uh, caps with me. And I took, I, <laughs> I took the thing off. And then, I don't know, I put many of them, those on my mouth. And this guy just looked at me and said, you're not going to sleep for days. And to me, that was like, no, I just need to. To, to get to the night. <laughs> I don't know. Like, like, it, it was no big, and I'm very sensitive to like any substance, anything. So, but I wasn't like, I needed that to just barely function. And so I remember walking on the streets. I was living in Sao Paulo back then. It's a little bit like New York. It's a place where people walk a lot on the streets. And I remember looking at people and just saying, man, everything's like so tiring. You know, people have to get up and they have to take a shower and then they have to eat breakfast. Oh, wow. And then they have to put their clothes on and then they have to get out of the house. And to me, it was like, that's so tiring. 
but it's not if you're if you have <laughs> if you're healthy enough that's not a lot but in my mind that was a lot I was like I really recognize everybody's effort you know because everybody's putting so much effort in life you know because they're doing so much like they're getting up and they're having their breakfast and they're taking a shower so I already had that so when I went to Oregon um and how but old then, were you at this time? You, you said you went to Oregon and, and that's where you suffered your tick bite? Yes, but uh, I used to go to doctors before that, before going to Oregon, and I'd say, there's this and there's that, and everything seems so random. And people are like, oh, I don't know, you're just stressed. I don't know, you're just, uh, I don't know, afraid of life. You're just, so psychologists really like dig di deep <laughs> when they're going through something like that. That's like, whoa, you know, leave it with me. <laughs> I'll just you know, come up with something here to fill the gap. And so every, like, if, if they don't know what it is, they'll just say, well, it's you. So go to a therapist. I went to the therapist. The therapist didn't know. I went to a psychiatrist. I went to, it's not like I was just like sitting back with my arms crossed and looking at the air, you know, like I was trying to get answers, but nobody, like it didn't cross anybody's mind that I had a uh, chronic mercury intoxication. And I was getting a lot of infections back then. So um, let's just um, rewind for a second. So when I was young, like I never got a cold. I never got a cold. Like I never got sick. I remember when I was at school, I got one of those um, certificates. Like she never misses class because I was always healthy. You know, just go to school. And then, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then I started getting these... Um, I don't know, sinus infections and really strong, I don't know, sinusitis and colds and everything. And I remember when I started getting those symptoms, I'd just go to the supermarket, get everything that I could, come back home, and I knew I'd stay home for two weeks, you know, dealing with that because my uh, immune well, system about, was really bad. But you're the child of a doctor, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're the child of two doctors. So as your yes. symptoms are beginning to develop, what are your parents observing about your symptoms and are they diagnosing you with anything? Okay. So uh, my, my parents are not only doctors, they're really good doctors. And I'm not just saying that because they're my parents, they're really good doctors. So my mom, she, I don't, I don't really know when that was maybe late nineties, early two thousands. I really don't know, but she's also a surgeon and she was part of the team that was making one of those laser surgeries. They were like the first ones in Brazil. Normally something like that would come from Sao Paulo, from Rio, from like a bigger city, but these people in Brasilia, they were doing it and they were getting great results. So people from Brazil were like, wanted to learn from them. Okay, so that's my mom. My dad, he's more of a clinician. My mom's also a clinician, but my dad's more of a clinician. He loves to make diagnosis. So. Uh, whenever I went to the hospital, which were not many times because I don't like hospitals, <laughs> I like to stay away from them as much as I can, but whenever I went there, there were like, I don't know, like 20, 30 uh, residents following my dad, like all these people with coats, and he's explaining things to them. He loved to diagnose. He loves, you know, uh, when I was young, my dad was always, he had this very, uh, like this position he stayed on where he was half sitting, half laying down and with books, like lots of books. And back then in different languages, like reading about everything because he really liked diagnosis. And so like he needed to understand the whole body as a system. <laughs> so my parents, those are my parents. 
And um, so despite having daily access to these very successful clinicians, you went yes. undiagnosed for a long period of time, correct? For a long period of time. And nobody could understand what was going on. I think it just never crossed their minds. And um, well, Renata, talk to us about the impact. Like, but talk to us about the impact that had on your relationship with your parents. I mean, they were not able to diagnose you with a physiological illness. So were they accusing you of being lazy? Were they suggesting oh. that maybe you had things going on in your own head? Or were they were they just constantly trying to find out what was wrong with you? How, how did this impact your relationship with your parents? Okay, so when I only had the mercury intoxication, uh, there was already a little bit of eye rolling, but a little bit of, wait, there's something going on, but maybe not. My, my dad was just like, okay, just get your blood work done. And then things will come back normal. Maybe some hormonal disbalance, something like that, but nothing big came back on my regular blood work. It just never crossed their minds. And even when I talked to people, when I talked to doctors, I had a friend, a childhood friend who became a doctor. And I told her afterwards, I said, hey, I had chronic mercury intoxication. She didn't even look at my test. She's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> like, How can you say I didn't? Like, you didn't see me for years, you know? Like, you're, you're just stating that I didn't have it when I did have it. Like, you're not even interested in the blood work. You're not. It. So I think doctors, they're just trained um not to look at it not to consider it not to it's not that um okay so this is only with the mercury intoxication after lying came along wait i'll 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 talk more about it when lime comes into the scene okay right, so, so, so let's talk about that let's talk about when lime comes into the scene and how you are distinguishing the symptoms that you had from the mercury intoxication uh from the from the uh, from the Lyme disease, so I, because I'm very interested in in that piece of your journey, <laughs> because quite frankly, your 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 mercury issues sound very much like Lyme disease, and I'm just wondering whether or not you you did in fact have Lyme disease as early as as your teens, and you were misdiagnosed with uh, the mercury poisoning. Okay, so here's how it went. Um, one day I was in São Paulo, and this is. Uh, and I was already getting like a lot of fatigue, a lot, like real fatigue. Like I couldn't get up for days and I couldn't explain it. And I was getting like, like strong neurological symptoms. One day I'm, I'm, I'm out on the streets and I couldn't move my left arm. And it was crazy, right? Like I, I sent the message for my arm, arm move, move, but my arm wouldn't move. And as I called my mom, because my mom's a doctor, so she's my mom, she's a doctor. I couldn't reach her. She was, I don't know, uh, operating. She was on the, up and um, so I got a, hopped on a taxi. I got back home and um, I just stayed there. I said, you know what? At least I'm safe here, right? And so I stayed there. The next day, my mom calls back. And as I'm telling her, I couldn't move this arm and then I couldn't move my right arm. So I couldn't move both arms. And then I, I wanted to walk like uh, on a straight line and then I walked sideways. And then I started having all these symptoms. And so it was Easter, it was a Easter holiday. My mom hopped on a plane, went to Sao Paulo and then uh, someone indicated a doctor, a neurologist and said, go, uh, go there. 
the neurologist saw, saw me and he said, I think you have multiple sclerosis. It's almost sure. We just need to get like an MRI just to make sure and then get you started on steroids. And then he said, well, this was, I don't know, what time was it? It was probably 10 in the morning. And then he said, okay, so two in the afternoon, three in the afternoon, go to this hospital uh, and then you'll get the MRI. Well, okay, so during this consult with this neuro, uh, neurologist, he, I don't know, he did things that are probably normal. So look up and, and I got really dizzy. And then he got the little hammer and he hammered my knees and whatever, what have you, you know, these little things. And that was too much for my neurological system. And so I, when I got home, back home, I had spasms and I had spasms for hours. And then I, I, and mentally I was trying to stop and I was telling myself, okay, you need to get to the hospital. You need to get to the hospital. You need to get to the hospital. And I gathered up all of my strength after, I don't know, a couple hours. And I said, mom, let's go to the hospital. So we went. And um, by the time I was at the hospital that I was laying down, I couldn't move from my neck down. Okay. But that doctor disappeared. <laughs> we couldn't find that doctor. I don't know what happened to the doctor. <laughs> Up until this day, I have no idea what happened to that doctor. <laughs> so I was sent to a different crazy crazy story my mom was running up and down and was crazy so I got sent to another hospital where they took me in and so they ran all sorts of tests on me I, I was like a hamster you know in their hands <laughs> and so there's this test where they give you a lot of electrical shocks like for an hour like they're just testing your um, nerves response and then they pulled liquor out of my neck and you know the whole thing and they found nothing <laughs> <laughs> and then they brought in a, a psychiatrist. <laughs> and the psychiatrist started talking to me and he's like, well, I think you have some psychiatric issues, you know, it's so, and okay. So when I was at the hospital that I was starting to get better. So I was walking again. So there was a physiotherapist that helped me walk again, the whole thing. I was researching because I said, I know I have something. I know this diagnosis does not fit me. Like I'm not crazy. I know I'm not crazy. So I was always researching. I had my iPad with me and I was always looking, looking up, looking, looking things up. And somehow I found chronic mercury intoxication. And then I, I talked to the doctor. I said, hey, at the hospital, I said, don't you think I could have chronic mercury intoxication? And he's like, no way. You don't have that. And I said, no, I really do think uh, I do have, look, look at the symptoms. And he's like, no, no, no. Like you're a nut case. <laughs> he had already made up his mind that I was a nut case. And so <laughs> there's no arguing with that. <laughs> so they discharged me. I went back to Brasilia with my mom. I, I had no autonomy back then. Like was, I, I really had to go back home. And, um, and so, uh, in Brasilia, it's a crazy coincidence, but my mom had just had this patient who she had performed surgery on that told her that she was seeing a toxicologist. That is a person who was going like a doctor who was measuring like intoxications. And then I was like, oh, okay. So she wrote, uh, she got the contact of the guy and I went there. And then I got um, 
the exam to see if I had um, heavy metal intoxication. And it was off the charts. <laughs> that doctor called me and he was desperate. He was like, come to my office right away. I can't believe. Like, I was almost like six times over the limit of how much mercury you can have in your body. So I did the, um, uh, the cleansing with EDTA which is really good. But whenever you do the IV EDTA, you also have to put in minerals and all of that stuff. And the guy was all like, well, we're going to put minerals and this and that. So I got all those, um, the treatment in my veins for, it was two times a week, like two sessions a week for, I don't know, maybe two months, three months. And then um, I was getting better, but also new symptoms were starting to show up, okay? So wait, this is 2013. This is like March, April of 2013. And I got bitten in 2012. And the- Let's talk about the bite. So where, Oh. what did you, are you sure you were not bitten before this bite that you're about to talk about at any time you were either in Brazil or traveling in some other yeah. country. Yes, I'm pretty sure I wasn't bitten. I don't know, I'm pretty sure I wasn't bitten because it was like a different proportion. Like when I had only the mercury intoxication, it was more tolerable. <laughs> After that got together with Lyme disease, with the tick bite. Then it, it came to a proportion that it was just crazy. Like you couldn't, it was really hard to handle. Like I lost all autonomy and it, well, was, it was a different level. It, it was a different be a level of being sick. Well, it could be. What if your body was managing the Lyme disease until you got reinfected with a second tick bite when you were in the U.S.? We'll never know. We'll never know, Richard. (laughs) So let's talk about this. So, so you're you're traveling to the U.S. in 2012, and what was the purpose of your trip to the U.S.? Oh, okay. So I met a guy, he was American, he lived in Oregon, and he was calling me all the time. And he was like, Oh, we should be together. And I love you and this and that and come here, just come and visit, see how you like it and this and that. And he was calling me all the time. And I was like, Well, maybe I should go and see what this is all about. And so I went there. So I went there, the guy was a narcissist, by the way. I don't know if any of you are familiar with narcissistic abuse, but <laughs> that's what it was. But I got the tick bite when I went to Oregon. So one day um, we went kind of hiking. It wasn't really hiking. He was too lazy to hike. <laughs> we just <laughs> kind of in the woods. <laughs> and then when I came back afterwards, I looked um, on my, I felt a tingling sensation. It was not a bite. It was just like a tingling sensation. I looked and there was like, this tick that was diving in my skin. And so I pulled it off, had no idea what it meant, had no idea how it would change my life, had no idea whatsoever. Like I I was clueless. (laughs) At that point, I had zero clue of what was in store for me. So let's pause there for a second. So you're the daughter of two doctors. Yes. You are a college educated woman. Mm -hmm. You're now traveling uh, independently to the US and yes. you know nothing about ticks and nothing about Lyme. Zero, zero. Back then people did not talk about Lyme. Nowadays, I don't know, you can turn on a series or a 
movies, like there are no serious, no movies about Lyme, but every now and then someone will drop in like Lyme disease. Back then it did not happen. Like the government, nobody said anything about ticks. There were no signs. There was absolutely no information. And even when I came back that I was researching what could be wrong with me, it took me a long time to get to Lyme disease because there was not enough information. well, this is what back in 2012, I mean, nowadays you can, I don't know, on social media, you find information about Lyme disease. I don't know, Justin Bieber has Lyme disease. Avril Lavigne has, a, I don't know, the models have Lyme disease. But back then, nobody had Lyme disease. Or if they had, they wouldn't say anything about it. Like, you, that word did not even exist in the vocabulary. It was not only just to dismiss, as in Lyme disease is nothing. It was like, Lyme was not a word I had ever heard. So... You find this this tick biting you on the arm. Yes. Did you know what it did you know what it was when it was biting you? And and what steps did you take to remove this tick from biting you? Yeah, um, I don't know. I never I didn't think too much about it. I, I've been bitten by many insects in my life. I, I it was just another insect. I'm sorry. And I'm I'm really sorry if that's not even the correct uh, scientific name. If I don't know if ticks are insects or whatever. To me, they are. <laughs> so I just said, okay, an insect's biting me. I just pulled it off. Just just seemed like the right thing to do. I just pulled it off, threw it off, continued with my life. But I noticed the bullseye ra- um, rash. How long after the bite? hard to say maybe a couple hours after the bite I'm not but I just remember looking at that bite and it kept spreading and I've never seen a bite like that and so I was like what is this is this an allergy because by then I was allergic to a lot of things like not when I was young but by that point in my life I was allergic to a lot of things I was like is this an allergy it doesn't scratch it doesn't doesn't itch, doesn't do anything. It just grows. That's weird. But I thought it was beautiful. I said, hey, this is a really good looking bite. (laughs) 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 But it was, it was a textbook, um, bullseye rash. I mean, people could have taken the picture. It's an illustrated textbooks with me. I just have to pause (laughs) here. We've interviewed over 150 guests and no one has ever described their Lyme rash as a beautiful it presentation. Was. It was. It was like a stain of um, red. It was nice. It was just sublime. You know, it was floating on my skin. It was beautiful. Like I, I, I got a sense of it. It was aesthetically pleasing, but <laughs> it was very dangerous as well. So when, when you saw this aesthetically pleasing, pleasing rash developing on your arm. <laughs> did it did it trigger any thoughts in your mind about going to see a doctor to determine whether or not this aesthetically pleasing rash was in fact causing you to become sick? Okay, now I understand you're thinking it's weird when you say aesthetically pleasing now that I heard you say it. <laughs> now I get it. Okay. No, it did not. It not even crossed my... I, I've had many bites in my life. You know, mosquitoes have bit me. I don't know what have you, maybe mostly mosquitoes, but it never crossed my mind that it could be something as dangerous as it was, like as crazy, as weird, as (laughs) debilitating as it was. I could never, like not for a millisecond. I didn't know Lyme existed. I knew, for example, I knew in Brazil we have dengue fever and we have, but you know, it's a fever. It's, I mean, I've had dengue fever after, afterwards I did have dengue fever way back in the, 
I don't know, in, in 2019, I had dengue fever and it actually helped me with the Lyme because of the fever and the sweating and the whole thing, but it's nothing compared to Lyme disease. So I didn't even like, I, 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 I couldn't even imagine the magnitude of <laughs> what laid in store for me. <laughs> so after you found the rash, did you begin to now develop what we now know to be traditional Lyme symptoms where you, where you had a summer cold and you have any of those types of symptoms that followed the rash? Okay. So I was bitten in April. Okay. Um, I continued to have the mercury symptoms. So I kept having that, I don't know, better, worse. They're sometimes better, sometimes worse. It seems a little random, but in July of the same year of 2012, I had like a really, really bad cold. I was already back in Brazil and I had like a very bad cold. I remember I had a friend come visit me and she wanted to party. She wanted to be like, she was not from Sao Paulo. She wanted to, she really wanted to see the big city, you know, the whole, all the attractions and everything that was going on. And I was dying. Like I was, I was really, really, really sick. And and um, it was the first time that it was hard to recover. And everybody was like, oh, just take a look, just take a walk around the block and just, just shake it off. And I couldn't shake it off. And if I tried to, I'd get like stronger neurological symptoms that I couldn't even explain. And so it just felt safer to stay home. So can you compare for us what your symptoms were like before the tick bite and how your symptoms were different after the tick bite? Okay, so um, before the tick bite, they were um, they were not as strong, so they were a bit more vague in a way. You know, they were, and they were not as consistent. So Lyme was a whole different level. So if I were playing a video game, um, <laughs> mercury intoxication is level three, Lyme is level twenty-five. <laughs> that's how it was <laughs> so talk to us about how your Lyme symptoms were developing and how these developing symptoms were impacting your life how is it impacting okay. relationships with friends with family with work how is it impacting you yes uh it was really hard just to get better from that cold that I had so it seemed like I could never really get better from that cold you know uh, the cold could not, would not get out of me, <laughs> you know, and then I started, I felt like I was hungover for some reason. And by then I, I had stopped drinking, um, like a hundred percent, because I, I said, there's something really serious going on with my body. And instinctively I knew I had to just like stop doing anything that could be harming my body. So I was not doing that. And I was sick, like on and off. And so I, I would be bedridden for a week with something that nobody could explain. And then suddenly I would be back. Um, we, I mean, healthy is also a relative concept. <laughs> so I was able to get out of bed, but I don't think I was healthy. Like I wasn't feeling good, you know, like I was able to, but my main symptom was uh, chronic fatigue. So there were points where I had like a glass of water just beside me and I was not, I couldn't, did not have the strength to, reach out, get the glass of water and drink the water. I would be super thirsty just lying down. I could barely open my eyes because I just had a very um, severe fatigue. Back at that time, it was very strong fatigue, but not as severe. So sometimes I would go back. I was living in Sao Paulo and sometimes I would go back to Brasilia. 
And my mom, she would find all these doctors that I could see, you know, well, let's find out what's going on with you. And so she found this guy who was really good. He was a general practitioner, was also an acupuncturist. And I remember he ran a lot of tests, but he did a lot of tests. It was not like it was um, on his office and he just said, okay, so stick both of your arms right in front of you. And no, just just those little um, neurological tests and I failed all of them. But I was feeling relatively good back then when I was seeing him. And I was just like, no, 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 I'm getting better. I always had this feeling, oh, I'm getting better. Not only that, but um, at that time I had a studio in Sao Paulo. It's just like this brand new place that I had found and I was super excited about. And um, I was meeting new people like, before the really bad cold, like I had these people that I had met, which were like interesting. And it seemed like my life was really um, launching. <laughs> so I really wanted to go back to that. And I had no idea what being sick really meant. I had all those symptoms before. They were debilitating, of course. I was not living my life to the fullest, but they were still not, um, it was still not something that I said, okay, I'm sick, like, I'm full-time sick. <laughs> I can't do anything else. You know, like I have a full-time occupation, which is being sick. I haven't, I hadn't had that. And so it was still like intermittent. Sometimes I was sick, sometimes I wasn't. And every time when I wasn't, I always thought, okay, I'm getting better. I'll just get back to my life. And when I was seeing this doctor in Brazil, Brasilia, this uh, general practitioner that I'm telling you about, he told me, you're really sick and you don't know it yet, but you're really sick. I don't know what's wrong with you. And he used to look at me with this really grave expression, you know, like it's almost like he's looking for something but he couldn't, he couldn't tell what, like, it's like, I'm this enigma, you know, <laughs> <to him. laughs> like he's just trying to figure out, like, I'm the sphinx, you know, like, <laughs> decipher me or I'll devour you. So he was a little bit like, what's going on? What's going on? He had that, I was like that hunger inside of him to find out what was happening to me, but I, I'm not even sure he knew about Lyme. Um, so I went back to Sao Paulo and that's when I couldn't move my arm. I was, um, I was sent to the hospital, that whole thing happened. And then I had to go back to Brasilia because by then I had lost all my autonomy. I had to be with my mom. I couldn't function by myself. And um, so when we found out about the chronic mercury intoxication, at first it was like, okay, all our problems are solved. It was chronic mercury intoxication. Here are the tests where we're cleansing our body, we're doing all these cleanses, your body's getting, you know, um, DDTA, everything it needs, and so you'll be good to go. But the thing is, I started to get new symptoms. <laughs> so symptoms started to come and go, and you know, that whole line thing. And uh, we had no idea what it was. My mom found a doctor, which was, and I don't even know how to say this in English, but orthomolecular. So these are doctors that think, okay, so you normally go to those when you have a chronic illness because Western medicine is so unprepared to deal with chronic illnesses, right? And so they try to give you all the hormones. They, they try to um, balance all of your hormones so that you reach homeostasis and then um, you'll be healthy. That's, that's how they think. 
So let's and, let's pause there for a second. So your mm-hmm. mom at one point had some question about whether or not you were really sick, but after now you have these challenges after your 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 tick bite, it seems like your mother is now now accepting that you're sick. She's accepting that you are um, now a a full time uh, as your occupation. Illness is your occupation, and she's now willing to pivot somewhere else. Or am I incorrect? You're incorrect, dear Richard. You're very smart, but on this, you're incorrect. <laughs> because here's the thing. Um, until, up until the point that I was sent to the hospital, everybody thought I had MS. So until the suspicion, like uh, up until that point, it was like a serious disease. Okay, you, have, you probably have MS. I really need to pay attention to you. Then they saw it was an MS and the doctors thought it was all in my head. And, and your then mother, she started to, but your mother accepted the diagnosis of mental illness because the multiple sclerosis yes, diagnosis had, was, been taken yes, off had been taken off the table. But then um, we found the mercury. So when we found the mercury, she thought, oh, okay, maybe it's just the mercury. But after the mercury, mercury was removed, that I started this treatment with this orthomolecular doctor. And this is a really good doctor. I mean, he was a Harvard trained doctor. It was not just like a guy around the corner. You know, we traveled to see this guy. And um, I was doing everything right. I was doing an alkaline diet. And I, in my mind, it's like, okay, I'm a healthy person. Why can't I get better? Because I'm doing everything this doctor is telling me to do. He's a really good doctor. I'm doing an alkaline diet. I'm very disciplined. You know, I, I, I think positive. I, I you know, I'm, I'm doing everything I can. I'm not getting better. I'm only getting worse. And at that point, my mom was like, no, this is clearly only psychological. When I said, and then uh, it was in 2014. I've, I was the beginning of 2014. Was uh, I remember up until today it was carnival, and everybody was out dancing, and I was researching, you know, what's wrong with me. <laughs> and I found a YouTube video of this girl who had Lyme disease, and she started to describe it. And I said, "That's what I have." And I remember calling my mom. She was at, I don't know, her boyfriend's house. And I was like, I found out what I have. I have Lyme disease. It's an infectious disease. And she's like, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, it is. You know, let's go to the lab. And at the lab, I could take an ELISA test. But I had no idea what an ELISA test. I, it could never have crossed my mind that I would have this disease that's like a Kafka novel. You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> nothing works. The tests don't work. The doctors are not prepared to see you. The whole community is telling you you're crazy. And you know you're not crazy. And well, let's so, pause there. So, so did you at any point, question your own sanity did you believe at any time that perhaps you were mentally ill and not really suffering from a physiological illness yes yes of course i mean um not only that okay um and then i had uh wait let me just i was um of course i did question myself a lot but i also knew deep, deep inside what my truth was Okay. And that's something that's really important. And that's the point where I told you that I wanted to get to, because um, everybody can abandon, like, I, so this is something like Lyme is a real boot camp for this, for 
learning how to meet your own needs, you know, to stand with your truth. And so everybody around you can abandon you. Like that, that was my experience. So everybody could abandon me, but I was not going to abandon myself. You know, I knew what was wrong with me well, and I knew about, that it was serious. But talk to us about how you dealt with that betrayal, right? I mean, you were betrayed by your mother, yeah. you were betrayed by your father, you were betrayed yes. by the medical By system. the community. And not only that, but the pe people around me, they looked at my parents for answers because they were the doctors, right? Not only that, I come from a more traditional family and I'm like the artist, like the spiritual. So people are just like, okay, she's like, she's not. You know, she really has mental issues. So um, there was that. But uh, I think it was also the healing of um, this issue of me not being 100% accepted by my family as I, as I, who I really am. So at first, when I started getting all these accusations, okay, you just want attention, you're, cra you're crazy, you're lazy, you don't want to work. You just want to live off of your parents' money. You'd... So when that stuff really started to hit hard, <laughs> so like two years in, you know. <laughs> so at first I was really angry and I was resentful and I was frustrated. And I was like, well, people can't see me for who I really am. Uh, why would I do that? I think work is a privilege. Like working is a privilege. You, you grow, you contribute, you leave your mark you make your money, why would I not want to work? You know, why would I not want to live my life? Why would I want to leave my life in Sao Paulo, come back here just to be humiliated by everybody? Like, it makes no sense. Like, that Renata, narrative talk, to us, no <laughs> talk to us about your emotions. Now, you, you, you said that the betrayal that you felt caused you to feel angry. It, it, it caused you to feel resentful. Talk yes. to us about those emotions and the impact you believe those emotions had on your healing. I'm getting there, Richard. So first I needed to describe the situation really well, just so you could get a glimpse of it. Because no, because I, I see people saying, oh, when I went to the doctor, I was mistreated. That was my reality at home every single day. I was getting, people were rolling their eyes. And it was not only about Lyme. I suddenly became the person who was not to be heard. You know, like, don't listen to her. Like everything she's saying is crazy. She just makes up stories about things. All these narratives that were not my truth, they were not the truth uh, like of who I was, you know? They, these were like, they were a social truth, but they were not like a real truth, you know? So at first, of course I was angry and I was resentful and I would try to convince people and uh, it was a losing battle. <laughs> I was getting nowhere. <laughs> not only that, but I was also sick and I needed to pick my battles. Like I needed to like take care of myself. But do you believe that you were getting sicker because you were being betrayed socially by all of these people in your life? Do you believe that was supp further suppressing your immune system and your ability to heal? It was not helping. <laughs> Feeling betrayed like that was not helping. But I'm also going to say this, and I think this is really important because I've healed and I'm going to share with you how. But nowadays... Um, I don't look at the situation through my hurt, you know, because I was able to heal myself. So I'm able to get a much clearer view of the situation. I'm really grateful for my parents because they did give me the financial means to survive this period. And I really think they just didn't know what to do with me, you know, but it became something uh, bigger than that. Okay, but we're going to get there. So first, 
uh, so I was always searching for answers. The same way I was searching for answers for my health, I was searching for answers for how to deal with this crazy situation of when I was denied all the time. Because by, by that point, people were like, okay, you're really mental. Like <laughs> they took me to a psychiatrist and it was just like, you know, those old cartoons where they just get the shovel and they shove a lot of med medicine in your mouth. That's, that's what was happening to me at the psychiatrist's office. And it was not only that, he was a really good psychiatrist, but he was like, okay, you're trembling. So I'll give you, it's not Parkinson's, but I'm going to give you medication for Parkinson's. You're this. So it was just like meds, like the really strong medication. And um, so I found um, the Course in Miracles, right? And um, it did give me a lot of relief, like mental, emotional relief just to hear about forgiveness, how important it is to forgive. Because up until that point, I was at a point where I said, okay, I really need to work this out in my head or I'm gonna go really crazy. Now I'm gonna go crazy for real. <laughs> it's not just what people are accusing me of. I'm gonna be the real shit. You know, I'm gonna be the real crazy person here. Now they're gonna see crazy. <laughs> you know? And I didn't want to get to that point. To me, it was very clear <laughs> that was not who I wanted to be. Like I knew there had to be another answer. Like I knew that was not a road I wanted to go towards. And so I started to uh, research the same way I was researching to get better physically. I was researching to get better psychologically. So I read it all. I read about um, vulnerability and but, but I did get to the Course in Miracles where they said a lot, lot of things about forgiveness. And um, what I'm going to share with you about forgiveness. Okay, so at first it really helped me. But then it was all um, a little bit. Uh, and okay, I have a lot of respect for people who are in the um, Course in Miracles community. Like I'm not questioning them. I'm just saying what's true for me, what was true for my journey, my personal journey. It got to a point where nothing was real. It was all about love, but I was completely dissociated from my life because, oh, it's not real. You know, everybody's just love. But I was getting hit hard in the head everywhere, you know? <laughs> and, you know, I said, well, this is not really it. Like, I don't think this is really my path. And what really worked, and um, the conclusion that I get, got towards forgiveness, because it was something that wasn't clear in my head for a long time, just me trying to make sense of the whole thing, because I thought that forgiving was good, but um, how could I forgive? Like, it, it was not doing me any good. <laughs> Renata, do you think that you couldn't accept that because you still didn't have your true diagnosis? And deep down inside, you knew there was something more to your story, right? No, um, no, Matt, I got my true diagnosis and I was still being treated the same way because they just didn't really believe in Lyme. Um, and so here's the thing. Uh, the conclusion that I got and what really worked for me, and not only as a Lyme patient, but as a person, and this is something that I'm going to take with me for life, is that what's really important is that I heal myself. So it's not even what people did to me, not what they're inflicting. It's not it's not, it's not about others. It's about me healing myself. So even those emotions that we try to suppress sometimes just like, oh, I want to be positive. So let's not get angry. Let's not get it. I would say like, if you're, if you're feeling angry, that's awesome. Just don't stop on your anger. Use that as an investigation tool. 
okay, why am I angry? Why is this triggering me? What's the story I'm telling myself? You know, okay, so I'm feeling invalidated. Okay, so when, when, when was I invalidated like that? With my parents, there was an aggravating um, matter, which was I'm, I'm a kind of person that's different from what they wanted as a daughter. You know, they wanted someone who saw life differently. They wanted someone who gave them a sense of security that I was not giving them. And particularly with Lyme, I was not giving them any of that security. You well, know? Renata, Renata, real quick, before we go into, because obviously Lyme has molded you into this person who is very independent. And I want to talk more about your diagnosis first, though. So okay. talk to us more about how you got diagnosed, what doctor actually ran the test for you, and what life was like after that for you, immediately after that. Okay, so after I had been to that orthomolecular doctor for a year, and I was really disciplined, I was taking it very seriously, I was like, I'm gonna make this happen, and I'm gonna get healthy, and you know, I'm gonna get healthy yesterday, you know, <laughs> but it didn't happen. So when I had been there for a year, I had, uh, he had given me a diagnosis of chronic fatigue. So it came to a point where I said, I don't think this has anything else to offer me. So I said, you know what, I'll go to a very traditional doctor. I'm going to an endocrinologist and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to talk to him. So I found this really good endocrinologist. He ran a zillion tests and I was like, well, you know, I think I have Lyme. And he's like, no, you don't. And I was like, no, I really do think I have Lyme. And he's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. And he said, you know what? Okay, let's make a deal. Um, let's wait to see until your symptoms start to be clearer. Like, let's get a, uh, more of a sense of what's, what's this thing you're having. But until then, you're going to do psychological treatment. And that's when I was sent to the psychiatrist. So I was given a lot of psychiatric drugs. And the thing is... Um, Okay, so when I, I had already started doing this whole psychiatric treatment, one day I'm at a holistic shop by my house and uh, someone's talking about John of God. So they're like, well, I went to John of God and John of God is awesome. John of God healed me. He healed so many people and on and on and on and all these amazing stories. And I was like, okay, I have to go see John of God. Now, I just interrupt real quick. Is this, this is now while you're in, you're seeing a psychiatrist before yes. your Lyme diagnosis. And now. Yes, that's through. before my Lyme diagnosis. I got my Lyme diagnosis in 2016. Okay. And what is. So this John is still 2014, 20, 2014. Okay, and what is John of God for those for our listeners who don't know what that is? Oh, I thought he was worldwide famous after all the allegations against him. <laughs> I thought that had made him really, really famous. Okay, so he's a very famous Brazilian healer. He was um, considered like the most powerful healer in the world for many years. So it was, I saw many miracles happen there. And by this time, I was... Let's say I was already disappointed with Western medicine. I had never been like such a huge raving fan of Western uh, medicine. Like it's not my thing. Um, I get better with alternative things. Like alternative uh, treatments work better for me. But um, by that time, it was very clear how Western medicine was lost. And um, so I was getting back to a new age, which is weird because it's actually old age because it's what our ancestors have been doing for millennia. If there's anything new in the scenario, it's the 
pharmaceutical companies. So I was doing all this new age, old age thing uh, of what our ancestors have been doing. So um, herbs, crystals, energy healing, um, going to healers, going to sacred places to find healing. I, I said, this is really going to help me. And that's one of the reasons why I was at that holistic shop. I had always had like a connection with spirituality, but um, there were always many distractions in my life. So like there were college and there were, I don't know, friends and people were asking me out and I had to hand in papers. There was a lot going on. And so I couldn't really focus on spirituality. But back then I remember thinking, okay, spirituality is really going to save me from this because like there's no other answer here. And so, and during that whole time, I thought I had Lyme, but I had taken that ELISA test <laughs> that only afterwards I found it only tested for one strain of Borrelia, one local strain of Borrelia. So <laughs> I could have never gotten a positive out of that test. Not, just, just to be clear, so your, your doctor, your endocrinologist who said you didn't have Lyme ran the test for you anyway? Is he the one who ran the ELISA test for you? No, I begged my mom many times for, <laughs> I begged her to um, uh, prescribe me the test. And there was this one, I had begged her so many times and she came to a point where she said, okay, I'm not doing that anymore. You know, like you need to get, let go of this. And I was like, no, please, please, please. And so I found another, afterwards, I found another endocrinologist. Um, she happened to recognize the name and she's like, oh, okay, so... And she was like, no, you cannot have Lyme disease. And I, think, and I said, and then she, she was like, okay, I'll see your blood pressure. And she was talking with really basic stuff. And I'm like, no, I have been going to doctors for years now. Like, I don't need you to look at my blood pressure. I know how my blood pressure is. Just please listen to me. I need, um, I need you to ask for this test for Lyme disease because I think I have, I'm so sure I have it. And that's when she said, um, you cannot have Lyme disease. You're not American because that thing exists only in the United States. And then I told her, well, the bacteria did not ask for my passport. You know, it's like, it's, <laughs> that's not how nature works. <laughs> that's something that's man-made. I don't know, the customs office would ask for my passport, but not the bacteria. So, but even so, like she, she actually, she kicked me out of the office, that doctor. <laughs> it was very tense. Not only that, she called my mom afterwards to complain about me. <laughs> <laughs> my mom was so disappointed she was like, I, can't. She was like I, I don't even know what to make out of this you know you're going to the doctor and you're getting, getting kicked out she's really angry because you were insisting you had Lyme <laughs> just so you calm down I'm gonna ask that you take this test again <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's gonna come back negative <laughs> so that's what I was dealing with wow. and um so in that whole scenario, I found John of God. So uh, I was at this holistic um, little shop but, uh, that was close to my house. And then there was this person that was telling the story. Okay, so there's John of God and John of God is awesome. He, he's healed me. He's healed someone who also has cancer that nobody could figure out how to treat. He, and on and on and on. This person was talking a lot about John of God. And so I said, okay, I have to go see John of God. Going back to John of God, he's a very gifted healer. He was later accused of um, <clears throat> improper conduct with uh, women. Um, that was not my experience there. Uh, John of God really helped me when I was going to see him. Like he really, really helped me. I don't know, like 
I cannot explain what happened in there. I just remember getting there. The first time I got there, um, he looked at me. He told me a lot of things. Second time, it was really quick. First time was really quick. But then I was like, okay, I need to go back there. So the first time I was really going to talk to him, um, I was standing on a line. And by the time they called us in, like I was just sobbing and I was crying. So I, di I didn't even know where that was coming from, but I just cried and I cried and I cried. And the whole time I stayed there, I just cried and I cried. And I was, I was like yelling, you know, I was, just, I was like, I was calling. You know? I was like, Whoa! it was really, like, it was really loud. And he was like, no, leave her, you know, that's her process. So he had a lot of respect for what I was going through. Um, and so, um, I did not see, I'm not, I cannot say that, I don't know, it, it's complicated to make any statements about um, his later accusations, but that's not what I saw when I was there, you know, like I, I have a lot of reverence and a lot of respect, and the people that I knew that was, were going there, they also said, okay, I, I didn't see that, but um, so, but what I did see Okay, uh, when I went to John of God, and I'm not even sure, I don't know, there were things, it was not even him, but he was like a pop star, everybody wanted to be close to him, and it was, it was crazy how requested he was, but there were people who were organizing the whole thing, that sometimes they were not the best kind of people, and um, I don't know, I think they just wanted to get a sense of power by being there, by being close to someone who was so powerful, so requested, and uh, yes, so by having, I don't know, kind of like, I, I kind of stopped going there, but mostly because of those people, like they kind of made it hard for me to come back. Not real quick, like, though. So, okay. so, th so as in general, you feel John of God helped you, but it was a yeah, difficult process a because of the people that worked for him. And, you know, it, it wasn't a comfortable situation because of his staff, but he was, he was very effective in your healing journey. He was great. No, he's great. But give and me, give even, me, give me some examples, Ornada, of what he did or what he did with you to help you feel better in your healing journey. It's crazy, Matt. If I tell you, you're not even like you had to be there, but he would just hold your hand, and you would get all like organized inside. Like it, it's, it's like it's spiritual. Nobody can really explain what what goes on, but he had powers. Like I, I don't know, I don't. He had, um, he was gifted in that way. It was very impressive. So we had, I, I have seen miracles happen there. Not only that, I've seen, I, I got the spiritual surgery, but I saw people getting like the physical surgery. It was crazy. Like well, it was crazy. Those Renato, spiritual surgeries. What do you mean by it, spiritual surgery? What does that mean? Uh it's because he can either interfere in your physical body or he can interfere in your soul. So when he interferes in your soul, like it, um, and he interferes in the first time I got the spiritual surgery, I was, it's, it's almost like someone gave me a hallucinogenic substance. So I had to stay there. Like they, they recommend that you stay there for 24 hours. So I was not even, I was in between worlds. I, I cannot even explain it. I don't think I have the vocabulary to explain what really goes on, but it was really healing. It was what, was anything given to you? Any supplements or any kind of no, any kind of medicine no, to bring no, no, you no. into that state? Or that oh, was a natural only afterwards. state. Oh no, no, only afterwards. There was this thing of um, passion flower, 
but it's something that you kept on taking. So it was not like, it was not that. That was just passion flower. They even tried to get him through that passion flower supplement, but it was just like passion flower leaf. It was nothing, but nothing was given. And it, it's just something that we cannot explain. Okay, I saw him, Matt, you have no idea. I saw him, he just had like this very rough little knife. He went, he cut people's eyes, he scraped it off. I don't know, like they didn't even stitch it back. And people were seeing afterwards, like everything that doctors couldn't do, he was doing. It's, it's something that goes beyond what anybody can explain. There are many people studying him. And um, I don't know, I have to be loyal to what, um, what I witnessed there. And I have to be loyal to what I saw. But that does not mean I know how to explain it because I cannot explain what really happened there. Okay, so now... But it, I'm sorry, Renata. So, mm. so this this really helped you start to heal before you even got your formal diagnosis. You knew you had yes, Lyme deep down yes, inside. No, I healed a lot. Yeah. So, but yeah, now, walk yeah. us through you. You. It's interesting because you actually started your healing journey before your official diagnosis. What finally yeah. led to you getting a positive Lyme disease test and getting a positive diagnosis with a doctor? Okay, so at first the psychiatric medication seemed to be working. But it was because I was going to John of God. And after I stopped going to John of God, everything went downhill. Like I was really, really sick. I was sicker than before. And I was just getting the side effects of all those medications. And I kept telling people that I had Lyme, but nobody wanted to listen. Not even my therapist wanted to listen to me. Like when I, were, <laughs> I had to do therapy as well, like they're giving me a psychiatric medications, but they were also sending me to therapy. I was so sick. I was, I went, I went crawling to my therapy sessions. I was really, really, really in a bad shape. And I wanted to tell the therapist about Lyme, but they didn't even want to hear me. They're like, Oh no, come on, just cut it off. Let's talk about something else. You know, like I didn't even have time for that. Let's, let's go to the real thing, you know? And um, so that's how it went until it came to a point when I was so sick, but so sick that it was very clear to everyone that was, that psychiatric medication was not helping. Therapy was not helping. That was not the way to get better. So there was this one time when I, like, I was in a terrible shape. Like I, I had been bedridden for, I don't know, two months or so. I was like, I was really, really in a bad shape. I, I had no strength even to let out a sound. Like I couldn't say, uh, it took me four hours when I woke up to go to the toilet, to, to go to the bathroom. And it was one of those days where I woke up and the first thing I, I thought was, I'm going to take a shower today. Everything was so like, to me, that was like the major accomplishment, you know, like that's the major victory today. I'm going to be strong enough to be able to take a shower. And during the whole day, that was the only thought in my head. I'll be able to take a shower. You know, I'll be able to take a shower. And it's so crazy because um, there were days before, I mean, when I was, even in Sao Paulo, I already had the mercury, but I worked for, there was a time when I was working there and I worked for like 17 hours. Uh, there were times when I was um, at college where, I don't know, I would have sleepless nights whenever I had to hand in projects or what have you. But I don't even remember that being so um, overwhelming or hard as in those days when I was really sick, that all I wanted to do was to take a shower. Like that gave me the sense of utter victory when I was able to take that shower. You know, it's like, yay, you know, I can do it whenever I was able to, which was not every day. 
I must say. But um, my mom was just like, okay, so she's really depressed. But after, you know, all the psychiatric medication wasn't, wasn't, I mean, that stuff wasn't doing any good. Um, so I had a real conversation with my mom. I said, I know what you think, but just please, please listen to me. Please listen to me. So I was getting better from this really bad flare that, that I had had. And I told her, I know you know what I'm going to say, but I think I have Lyme. Like, I'm so positive I have Lyme. Everything screams Lyme in my body. There's no way it can't be Lyme disease. So I, I talked to her and I said, would you be okay if we saw like a Lyme specialist? Let's find a Lyme specialist. And she's like, well, if it's a Lyme specialist and, you know, and if you're willing to find that person, then yeah, let's see that person. Uh, in Brazil, I didn't know anybody. Like back then, I could not find anybody who, like, an, an LLMD, anything like that. And so, I found an American doctor that took online consults, and that, and and so I scheduled the consult. And so my mom came with me, and I don't know. I think the first time we, <laughs> we skyped. So the first time he talked to me. Like he saw, I, I think, I don't know, his secretary, of course, someone, you know, did the whole organized schedule. But I think when he turned on Skype that he saw Brazil, he was like, uh, he dialed. And then he was like, do you know what you, it's like, let me do all the talking. <laughs> I just interrupted him and I said, please be quiet. <laughs> I have everything here organized in chronological order. <laughs> and I had, you know, many, <laughs> I had sheets and sheets of paper. It's like, in 2014, this and this and this happened. In 2013, and then I started. <laughs> and then he, he was like, wow, you're really prepared. I said, yes, of course. <laughs> this is important. <laughs> and so... At the end of the session, he said, it would be really good if you could get a blood test. Like, it's not everything, but it would be really good for you. But um, we can summon, summon up your story by, you were at an endemic area. Um, you, you had contact with nature. You got bitten by a tick. You had a, <laughs> you had a bullseye rash. You developed the symptoms. You have been treated for everything but for Lyme and nothing else worked. And so he was like, okay, so let's treat you for Lyme. Back then I was really sick. And so uh, it was just hard for me to travel. It, it, like I just said, you know, I just need to get a little bit better before I travel. I tried to get the blood test in Brazil. So I, I tried to, I don't know, somehow manage that to get the blood withdrawn, like, to have someone take the blood so I would send the blood to the US so they can test it there but um, nobody could do that nobody could send my blood to the US to be properly tested and so I did not uh, have the possibility of getting like a proper test only that ELISA test oh and by the way afterwards they got a western blot at that same lab it's it's actually a very like a very good lab if, if you're not talking about lying like it's a lab that has a very good reputation. And so by then I had an idea that line tests were not very reliable. So I called them and I said, okay, so what's the reliability of, of your test? I mean, 
And like, they couldn't inform me anything. And so it came to a point where they were just making it up. <laughs> I don't know, like 97%. <laughs> and afterwards I told my doctor, and my doctor said, well, they should be rich by now if they have a 97% accuracy of their results. I mean, what are they doing lost in Brazil? You know? <laughs> they should be billionaires by now. So um, it's really this thing that nobody really knew what to do. And um, I'll take this cue to go back to the psychological part, because as I told you, like not even the psychologist, not even the therapist wanted to hear me when I said that I had Lyme. That's how lonely it was. That's how invalidating it was. That's how crazy making this whole experience was. It's almost like it's easier if you just admit that you're crazy. <laughs> but I was not like I, I I, like, I knew my truth inside of me and I had to fight for it. And um, it took me a long time. So I tried many things to deal with that psychologically. Of course, physically as well. I was always trying new things. And, um, and I had the means to do that. Um, but uh, fortunately, but... Um, Renata, you finally, found also... somebody, you finally found somebody who believed you. You found this Lyme litter doctor in the States who believed you and was going to treat you for Lyme despite yeah. not being able to get a test because of where you lived, he was clinically diagnosed you with Lyme because of your history. So what was the treatment you started with that Lyme litter doctor and how was it? Okay, but just a small observation. He was not a person who was really part of my life. Like nobody in my life um, really believed him. And I think at a certain point, not even my mom, she was like, okay, I'll just let him not to have this because we don't really know what to do at this point. But um, so I did not, like his validation did nothing for me in my practical life, like socially on a um, psychological, like dealing with the psychological issues. It did a lot for me with my body. So it really helped me because he gave me a whole protocol so that I could follow. And so it helped me help my body get the proper treatment it needed. But in my life as a person, so as a patient, he really helped me. But as a person, not really. I was still dealing with the same um, issues. Renata, before we get to the doubters who continue to doubt you even after getting treatment that made you feel better, <laughs> which is crazy, right? They, they're calling you the well, crazy one, but you're getting treatment that's helping you feel better. And they're still saying, oh, I can't be it, which is just mind blowing to even believe that. It is, it is. And not only, but I also hurt a lot. And so I kept telling people, no, you get worse before you get better. And they were like, that, that doesn't exist. <laughs> so what, what was the treatment? What was the treatment from your Lyme litter doctor in the States that helped you start to feel better and, and in the beginning made you herx a little bit? Make me, made me herx a lot. A lot. Okay, so uh, because I had taken so much psychiatric medications, I was, I was, I, I said, I need a timeout from from western medicine from like hardcore stuff and this doctor he said i can give you tinctures which are natural um natural like a more natural route or i can give you like drugstore antibiotics and i was like no i want the natural stuff i can't take any more medication like that it's not humanly possible <laughs> and so he did give me the tinctures but the thing is, it was really hard getting the tinctures here in Brazil. Like I had to import them. So, um, and sometimes they would get caught up at the customs because they just, they were understaffed at the customs office. So it was really a mess. I never knew how much I had ordered because sometimes it stayed there for two months, let's say. 
And um, the tinctures themselves, I don't think they were compatible. Like they really helped me, but they were not very compatible to my reality at the moment because I was so sick and everything was very scheduled. So it was like, you cannot eat anything for 30 minutes. And so, uh, and then you have to eat something and then you can't eat anything for two hours and then you have to take this and then you have to take that. But I was like, I was nauseous. I was throwing up. I was so sick. I could not get out of bed. And so I could not follow such a strict schedule um, the way it was meant to be followed. Like I did my best, but it was so stressful. Um, everything, just importing the whole thing because um, not only was it very expensive because it was very heavily, like it was heavily taxed. Uh, there were heavy taxes on, on these products and all the supplements, but uh, they just, and, and they got caught up at the customs. Of, like, it was really hard to know, like the logistics of it was really hard. Still, uh, I was so happy to be treated by for Lyme that I, uh, I stuck to that for eight months, I think. And then it came to a point where I said, okay, this is not practical. Like I'll go back to the drugstore stuff. And so I went back to the antibiotics but uh, so I took them, I was getting, I was so much better, but it came to a point where my stomach really, like I couldn't take anything else. Like I couldn't need anything else. I couldn't take any more medication because my stomach was so overwhelmed. I was just throwing up all the time. All I did was throw up, throw up, throw up. And um, so I couldn't take any more medication and I was starting to lose everything that I had gained with the Lyme treatment. So Renata, the, was... the, the herbals or the supplements or the tinctures helped you a lot, but they weren't practical because of the, the process of getting them through customs and the delays and the, yeah, the, the, the timing, of it. the logistics, yeah. the timing of the medicine. But you did make a lot of gains after Herx and you did have an improvement oh, yes. in your health. Yes, you, amazing. And, then... and uh, like, even though it was really hard, there was a part of me that was just thrilled to be treated for Lyme. You know, it was not an easy process in, uh, I mean, on every, any level, like it was not easy. Like there's not one single part of it that I can say that was easy. Uh, maybe financially I was like, money was more a solution than a problem during this, this whole process, but still everything else was a more of a nightmare. And what, what kind of antibiotics, what type of antibiotics have you taken for how long? I took a combination and I took different kinds of combinations. So right now I don't think I'll even remember all of them. I took doxycycline. I, I took many different combinations. I don't remember. I don't remember why, but sometimes we switched um, the antibiotics. So it was not always the same, but even uh, real basic stuff. So let's say the probiotics that I had to take with the antibiotics and even with the tinctures, I could not find them in Brazil because they have to be like, they're like, very strong. And in Brazil, you don't find that kind of thing. So I needed to be importing that. But there are all these, um, uh, I don't know, logistical part that, it, the thing is, if you really need the medication, you know, so sometimes I would be starting to run out and I would get stressed and I would call everywhere to see where the things were. And sometimes something would arrive and I didn't even remember that I bought it. And it was just very confusing on that, um, in that way. So the, so the, the stress of not knowing if you're going to get your medicine in time, can you get exactly. it? I'm sure made you feel, you know, stressed your body to, to inhibit your, your healing. And now usually antibiotics help people. So you, you mentioned that the antibiotics in some cases like yourself, it actually made you feel worse because it, it messed with your stomach and had a lot of negative side effects. It sounds like from the antibiotics. 
Well, uh, no, no, no. Uh, they did both things. So they really helped me, but they also messed me up. Um, so um, I did get better from Lyme, but then I started having new symptoms, especially, well, with Lyme, I already had nausea and already, but it was not my stomach being destroyed. That's something else. And that's something that I got from the antibiotics. Um, up to a point where I couldn't eat, I couldn't take any more medication. And, um, and I was starting to lose everything that I had gained with, the, with all the uh, protocols that I had followed. And that was really making me desperate. Um, the whole situation with the, the, the things that I needed to import, uh, it was stressful. Um, but I don't remember it being stressful to the point of interfering with my, with my treatment. I think my daily life, just daily interactions of, um, I don't know, like having people roll their eyes every time I saw something and just being validated, not only um, in regards to Lyme, but in regard to everything. So I became a person that you should not listen to, you know, because the narrative they had at that point was like, oh, she's just making things up. And like, don't get caught up in her stories. Don't get caught up. So if I said something, like they'll just roll their eyes. But if the cleaning lady came and said the same thing, they would listen to the cleaning lady. You know, like that's, that's, that was my reality on a daily basis. So that was very traumatic. I mean, that I would say really interfered with my um, treatment. But that was also something that I had to overcome, right? And I did. That I did. So now to talk to us about your next step. So, you know, you're, you're doing the right thing, despite everybody doubting you and hating on you. Yeah. You're working with your lymphatic doctor. You're doing these tinctures. It helps you pivot to the antibiotics because of logistical issues. They help, but they kind of destroy your gut at the same time. So now you're feeling better from Lyme, but you're getting all these other, other problems from the medication. What did you do next in your healing journey? Oh, okay. Just, just a small observation. They did not, um, my gut was fine because I, I was taking really good care of my gut. It was my stomach, like my stomach, they really like impacted my stomach in a way that it took me years to recover from that. So, um, after that, I had no idea what to do. I called my, I got in touch with my LLMD. Uh, he was like, well, we have to put that. I don't even know how that's called like that. Uh, they make like, their surgery so they can inject the like a, a, pi a pick line or a port so yeah, like a permanent a line. line yeah 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 so it gets but like my my mom didn't want it uh, I was starting to get sick all over again I was so one day like at this point I woke up with so much pain but so much pain in my body that I couldn't even move so I just stayed there like really quiet for I don't know until it passed which was I don't know in Rational time was about two hours, three hours. So I just stayed there with it. And as it was starting to pass, I took my iPad and I started to read my emails. And I got an email, I think it was like line times or something like that. Those things that I had subscribed to, but I would never read because they were too long. I don't know. But um, I saw an article about a guy who had healed Lyme with ozone, ozone therapy. And I said, ozone, I had heard of it, but I had heard like, I don't know, someone went to a spa in Australia and did ozone oh. therapy. I mean, that's, uh, that's how much I had heard. Like that's the oh. kind of information that I had gotten from ozone, about ozone um, up until that point. So I said, well, before I go oh. to a spa in Australia, I'll try what, whatever I can try here. Uh, but after I read that thing, I, I looked it up 
online and there was a, an ozone clinic that had just opened in my city. And so I scheduled an appointment and it was amazing for me. It really like, it took me out of the hole. Renata, give me an example of some symptoms that you were having that ozone helped with. Oh, they helped me with everything. So I had severe fatigue, like real severe fatigue. As I told you, there are moments that I, I just laid down for months, for months at a time. Um, I wasn't even strong enough to open my eyes or to let out a sound or like I was super weak. Um, I, there are some things that kind of we remember. So I remember getting a knife so I could eat something. And I was like, this knife is so heavy. You know, everything was just so hard. Um, I had this feeling like uh, I was hungover. It was like the worst hangover ever, like a million times over anything I had ever experienced. And it would just not go away. It would get a little better, a little worse, but it would just not get away, not go away. So that um, it really helped me with, it helped me with everything. I still had some uh, neurological symptoms. I still had, uh, it helped me with brain fog. It helped me just pretty much with everything, gave me more energy. I felt, I felt so much better. Um, so the doctor that um, did the ozone um, session, she was a little, I don't know, she wasn't that interested in my story. She was just like, okay, I'll do whatever with ozone with you. Like, I don't know, she was very much on the autopilot. She wasn't really interested in my story. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to buy this machine. <laughs> I don't remember. I think I had to be a doctor to buy them. I, I don't remember. But I remember I found a course for my mom. I told her, okay, study ozone <laughs> therapy. Like it was in another city. So I found the course and I said, okay, take this course and buy this machine. And like, I'm going to use it. So she did that. And then, because she saw how much better I was after the ozone. And then she brought back the machine. And so I had the generator uh, at home. Now, do you feel that that was really the, the most effective treatment you received was ozone? If you had to look back in your healing journey and identify the, the one thing that you feel helped you the most? I think it was the base. Like, but I think only ozone wouldn't have helped. Like it would have helped, but it would not have made me healthy again. Like it, I needed more. Like ozone alone is not enough. So I think it was really a combination. So it's a, it was a combination of ozone, um, nutrition. Nutrition was really important. So nutrition. And uh, I was very serious about what I was eating since 2013. Like I was very serious. I was on an alkaline diet. Now, I don't know. Now I'm a little bit more flexible, but back then, but like I still drink green juices every day, green smoothies, you know, I avoid gluten, sugar, but sometimes I'm a little more flexible. But back then I was very strict with what I was eating. And so I did that. That was really important. Um, let me see what I think. Um, afterwards, I found some spiritual, some energy healing techniques, which really, really helped. They made the whole difference. And during this whole period that I'm um, telling you about, I was always trying new stuff. So I was always trying, oh, there's Reiki and there's, I don't know, like I talked to a hypnotherapist. There was this guy who did hypnosis and he was like, you're not sick, you're very healthy. 
you're so healthy you want to run you want to do things and <laughs> it kind of helped me for two minutes and then I would fall back into my Lyme symptoms and I really believed in it and he was like no you're so susceptible you're awesome to work with yes but it was not healing like Lyme disease and so but I do think that the whole combination of everything but uh, most especially also these um, energetic um, energy healing techniques, they were very important, very, very important as well. But again, like only the energy healing technique and not the ozone, like they wouldn't have worked so well. So I think it's a combination. The so, same way that maybe... Mm. Oh, so despite, despite all, despite all the, the haters and all, and all the, the doubters in your life, <laughs> which is, is just crazy that you were that sick and you continue to fight for your health and all these people just really were not supportive of you. Yes. Your, your herbal tinctures, your antibiotics, your ozone therapy, your energy healing, all of the emotional healing as well. Your supplements, yeah. because healing from Lyme is both physical and emotional, as you've noted. And the, and the combination of all, the, all of these things have helped you now get into, into the state where you're feeling much better. Which leads me to my, my last question before I hand it off to Rich is, I mean, you, we've been talking to you for several hours. We talked offline before this and you're still have such a great amount of energy. So how are you feeling today? Give us an assessment of where you're at today compared to where you are at your worst. Okay, I just wanna make a small observation um, on what you said, because I think healing from Lyme, I think it's physical, it's mental, it's emotional. And in my, in my own journey, I can say it was also energetic. There's a, there's a, a realm that is spiritual, energetic, and it's something different. Like that's not your mental, um, like that's not um, healing your mental issues, your emotional issues. It's something else altogether. And so we're body, mind, and spirit. And I think healing the spirit is also really important. We talk about um, cleansing your body, but also like cleansing your soul, cleansing your spirit, like uh, energizing, what have you. I think that's really important. And that should be done on all levels. And so, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, what was the question again? So the question was oh. to give us an assessment of where you're at today with your health. You know, you're, I mean, you're clearly okay. doing much better. So with everything you just said, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling way better. Um, way, way, way better. My symptoms are faded. So I still have something, but I mean, you cannot even compare it to what it used to be. So uh, sometimes I get a little brain fog. Sometimes I get a little tired. So I have to stop. Like I, I still get tired often. But again, I've, I've been moving. I moved to a different city. I don't know, a mile, 1,300 miles away all by myself. My dog was having health issues. I was taking care of so many things. I was having problems with the house. So I was able to do all of that. You know, I was able to have my autonomy. The only thing is sometimes I need to stop and rest in a way that um, most healthy people don't need that. Sometimes I still get a little brain fog. So I remember talking to, when I first started talking to you, I was feeling really well. And then I get a little bit of a brain fog. I don't know. It's just something that's still not quite right. But uh, other than that, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm doing great. I mean, I'm not complaining <laughs> considering everything I've been through. I'm blessed, you know, <laughs> but I do. Um, so if all the, I, I'm, I'm at the point where 
if everything around me is perfect, then I'll be awesome. My body would be awesome. But if there are, let's say, small um, everyday life difficulties, which is, oh, you couldn't eat uh, at the right time, or you couldn't, you couldn't, I don't know, do your ozone today, or you couldn't, that still stands on the way. So my body's still not strong enough to overcome little things that normal people, like to normal, to normal healthy people, that's nothing. To me, it's still not nothing. Like my body's still a little more fra frail, let's say. So I still feel that. So it's not like it's 100%. I still need some special care. Nutrition's really important. I don't think, I think that's like a, a lifestyle. That's gonna be like a lifelong um, solution for me. So I don't think it's like, okay, I got back from Lyme and uh, from this Lyme journey, I'm healthy now. So I don't know, let's go to the bar and celebrate. Like <laughs> that's not gonna be my story, okay? <laughs> I'm gonna make a green smoothie and eat some kale chips and some nuts and <laughs> it's gonna be more <laughs> in that direction. So um, I do think it's a different lifestyle. Um, even when you get better, I have the sensation, maybe it's not, maybe I'll get better to the point where I can do anything, but um, I'm just, I'm really happy with where I am. I'm really proud. And um, it's crazy because I don't even, um, I don't have many people to share that with because many people don't even recognize the journey. <laughs> they don't recognize that there was a healing going on, but they're just happy. They're, they're more at ease that I'm better, you know, let's put it that way. But there's not like a recognition that, hey, you know, you really like, it was a lot and you dealt with it. But, and I really want to go back to this. And it's something that I've tried to talk about this um, in this podcast. And I think it's really important to talk about, and I haven't yet, but I do want to talk about it. And it's really about you meeting your own needs and so you learning how to do that. You learning how to recognize your own needs. Okay, what is it that I need right now on an emotional level? Okay, so um, for example, uh, this thing that I just told you. Okay, so nobody even recognizes that there was a victory, that there was success, that there was hard work and that there was an accomplishment. Um, but I do. You know, I'm, I'm talking that way just to illustrate a situation, but it's not something that hurts me. It's something that, like, I'm so grateful for myself for not having abandoned me. Like, other people around me, they could abandon me, but I was not going to abandon myself. You know, like, I was going to meet my own needs, and I was going to take care of myself, and I was going to live my truth, and I was going to do whatever it took to make me well. And um, I think that's a huge lesson that I... Um, that I brought back from this journey with Lyme. And I don't think that's only for Lyme. I think Lyme's a boot camp to train that, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I don't think it applies only to Lyme. I think it does apply to life. And um, so having healed from all those uh, situations, so really like reconnecting with your inner child, you know, like looking at yourself in a non-judgmental way, just really studying yourself, you know, like really studying your triggers, really studying, you know, what's making me tick. <laughs> I 
was sorry, no pun intended, but <laughs> what's making, you know, what's, what's, what's driving me crazy about this? What's making me sad about this? Like investigate yourself, know how to investigate. Like what's the underlying story you're telling yourself? What's the underlying feeling? Like getting to the bottom of that, because that's going to bring you a lot of self-awareness. And that's something that, that's priceless for life, knowing how to do that, knowing how to um, deal with yourself, basically, <laughs> knowing how to understand yourself and give yourself what you need and be by your side, you know, and of course, it's always um, it's still an ongoing thing, but it's not like I've gotten there and I'm 100% good on that, but it is the path that I'm taking. And so um every now and then I'll fall off but it's really important that you like to me it was very important that I would be patient with myself because I used to be so hard on myself the thing is I had internalized a lot of those false beliefs about me so um I internalized and I was like well maybe maybe I'm a lazy person and maybe and I was absolutely not like I was 100% committed to getting better to following through and to informing people. They just did not want to read. So I would print out information about Lyme and I would hand it to people in my life and they just wouldn't read it. So that, that's the kind of thing that um, was happening. But I, I believed in me, you know, like I had to believe in me, even when the world wasn't believing in me, even when, and um, so it's really finding the right tools, whatever works for you to get to that point. And um, to me, there were many, um, I don't know, like professionals that I found online. Because here's, here's how crazy this thing is. I cannot even go to a therapist <laughs> to heal because the therapist is not, doesn't know Lyme. It's not going to believe me. The therapist is going to say, okay, you're really crazy. Let's, you know, let's see what else is going on. And not only that, for example, I remember when I used to go to the therapist. So I used to say, oh, I get this feeling sometimes that's like 200 very sharp knives, just like I get stabbed by 200 very sharp knives. And they're like, oh, you feel betrayed in your life, don't you? But I knew it wasn't that. Of course, I felt betrayed, even by a therapist herself. You know? <laughs> 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 she should be doing her job. <laughs> you know, more, with more awareness. But... um. I knew that was not the point, but that was not going to be heard. But I had to hear it and I had to find the answers for myself and I had to take real good care of myself. So it's not even about trusting others. It's about really learning to trust myself, learning to trust my perception, my intuition, you know, um, not delegating understanding. So if there's anyone out there with, on a line journey where you're not getting validation, where you're not like, believe like if you really think it's lying <laughs> if you're still in doubt then i don't know maybe that's a healthy um response in that situation but if you're sure like i was sure i knew my story i knew i saw the tick i knew i pulled the tick off i knew where the bite had been i knew the whole thing you know like i knew i was sure like nobody's was gonna take me out of it and as much as it was uh demoralizing uh, on a daily uh, basis to be dealing with that. And um, it also, like, it made me, um, like, it was a dark night of the soul, okay? So it was really this period where I was just questioning everything. And, but I 
what I see is that I did use this moment to just um, restructure myself emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, to reconnect with my spirituality, to reconnect with what my beliefs are, with, you know, who I want to be. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a second chance at life. And that's something that's very special. So I want to make the most of it. And, and so... so Ronald, let me ask you to pause there because you gave such a beautiful description of your transformation. So why don't you sort of give us sort of a, as a, as a final summary of your transformation, what you believe Um, was the most beautiful part of your Lyme disease journey and what part of your journey would you never have given back because you wouldn't be the person who you are today as a result of going on the journey. I think the hardest part I would not give back. So this thing that I told you about the social part and just the whole difficulty, it made me such a stronger person, way more connected to my own truth and to my own self. And I think it's really easy to get lost. Um, I think uh, there's so much distraction in life and so many things that are trying to pull you in many different directions. But um, right now, uh, I found my, myself in a way, and um, I, I know I got my back, you know, <laughs> and I know I had to go through all of that. And I'm very, very happy that I do not look at those situations from my hurt. And that hurt does not, does not even exist anymore because I use that situation to heal myself. And so um, the perspective that I look at the, the whole situation is much more like, was something that I needed to go through, that I went through, and that I believe I learned what I needed to learn from that lesson. But um, it was not easy, <laughs> and it was not painless, and it was not like it was chaotic. It was crazy. It was, but I was there. You know, I was there for myself in those moments. Like I was not just there for, when it was pretty, and I, or or you know, just that. I think this is the most important message for anyone with Lyme, and then anyone with period, never delegate understanding. Like, if you know it, then, you know, be loyal to what you know. So now let me ask you the final question we ask every one of our guests, which is, if God forbid someone who you cared about came walking into your room right after this podcast and had a tick biting them on the arm just the way you did, what would you recommend that they do so they wouldn't have to go on a difficult Lyme disease journey? Well, uh, remove the ticks safely. First of all, practical stuff. Okay, <laughs> then we deal with the emotions. But uh, just dealing with the practical stuff, removing the ticks safely, um, keeping it so you can show it to a doctor, take it to a lab. I would recommend ozone, like immediately. I would maybe antibiotics if it's for three weeks then maybe but i think as a long-term solution yeah i wouldn't recommend it but it's up with the like you can combine things as well so i'd say ozone is super important but keep an eye on it like it's probably not going to go away (laughs) but you can um there are many things you can do so that it doesn't get to a point where you lose your autonomy, you lose your strength, you lose your your percept, like you lose your brain capacity, like your cognition. So there are a lot of things that you can do so it doesn't get to that point. 
Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Renata Lindoso. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Renata Lindoso and her Lyme disease journey, please visit our Instagram at Renata Lindoso. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have a secret to share with you, but we cannot release it until May. So please stay tuned. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get our automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or on our website. Thank you for listening.